We're reading in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Many of you are aware that this is the third Sunday that we've been in this particular passage of Scripture. And uh, I take some comfort in the fact that Paul writes in the very first part of this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble. So for me to say the same things to you this third Sunday in a row, I feel the same way. It is no trouble. There's still some things in this passage that I hope we can glean out of it and take out of it. If you remember the first week that we were in it, we, we were at the Lord's table and we had a brief time to share, but the heart of that message was to come back to something that we say often here at Richland, and that is that the gospel is for believers. It's not just for unbelievers, it's for believers. We need it all the way through as God is saving us and we are being saved as we read this morning. It is the means by which God saves His people from beginning to end. And so... It was no trouble for Paul to write that again and again. He kept coming back to it in his writings and he kept coming back on it with the Philippians because he knew that it was the gospel that would produce a deep soul-strengthening joy. And remember, as we began this series in Philippians, Paul's goal was for the progress and joy of the faith of the Philippians. Our life in Christ... Though at times we are pressed in and, and uh, difficulty comes, at the heart of all of that difficulty, at the heart of all of that brokenness, God's means to strengthen us is a soul-strengthening joy, a deep joy, not a trite, flippant joy, but a deep soul-strengthening joy rooted in all that God is for us in Christ. And so Paul kept coming back to it. It was the means by which he knew God works out His salvation in His people. And then last week, we came back to this passage and we again emphasized some of those very first verses, particularly the statement says, to write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. The second part of that, where it's safe for you. Not only is it no trouble, not only did He take joy in doing it, but He knew it was the safe thing to do for people. They needed to keep the gospel central. And we talked about a couple of things that it helps with. 
when, when we keep coming back to the gospel, when we talk about the gospel being for believers, and we, we share it from all the multi-dimensional ways in which we see it in the scripture. It is safe. The first thing it is safe, it keeps us from bearing burdens in our soul that we were never meant to bear. And primarily the burden that we were never meant to bear in our soul is the burden, as Tim Keller would put it in my study, The Prodigal God, of being your own Savior. There are many people who fill churches all around this globe on the Lord's Day who come to church, but it is not about casting the full weight of their soul upon Christ as much as it is being their own Savior, using that coming or whatever other religious activities they do as a means by which they can save themselves. Now, they would say we need Christ, probably, but they mix it. And if you mix it, that is a burden that is incredibly hard to carry. It is a burden that you were never meant to carry as a Christian, as a believer. And yet Satan causes Christians at times to bear that burden as he distorts the gospel or maybe just removes it from what they hear. They never hear it. And so they start out with the gospel, but then they put a burden on their back to be their own savior rather than looking to Christ. It's what the Pharisees did. Matthew 23 says they tied heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders with no no desire to help. No pastoral heart to help. Um, we need, as pastors, as shepherds, to help you to know that you don't have to bear that burden. greatest joy of my heart is to, to get with somebody who God is beginning to open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and to see that burden get lifted that maybe they have carried for years, the burden of being their own Savior. Now, here's a question for you. Here's a way to determine whether you might fit a bit in that camp of trying to be your own Savior, of bearing a burden that you were never meant to bear in your life. There are burdens, and in fact, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. There are some burdens that we bear as Christians. In fact, somebody came to me last week after that message, talked about some of those burdens. Is that the burden you're talking about? No, there are some burdens we bear. As Christians, Paul said, I'm hard pressed on every side. And he went through a litany of things he had suffered. And he says, on top of all of those sufferings, shipwreck and all of that, I bear the burden of all of the churches, the pressure of all the churches. So there are some burdens to bear as Christians. Don't hear me wrongly. But the burden of being your own savior is not a burden that you were ever intended to bear. Whether you're doing it or not, you might take this test this morning. Now, we have to be careful with one individual test. There are lots of things. But just think this morning. Just think as you came in this morning. And you came in to worship. Where did your thoughts go first? Where did your thoughts go maybe as you were coming today? Did they go up? First of all, upon your performance this week. And maybe you find your performance wasn't as stellar as you would want it to be, and so your thoughts dwelt there. That's not wrong to 
examine our hearts. But if they stayed there, something's wrong. When that comes to us, where our, where our thoughts ought to shift is to the Gospel of Christ. is to the perfect performance of Christ. The question you would ask is, what gave you confidence to come into this sanctuary with the idea that you would have any kind of access to the God of Scripture? To the God revealed in Scripture? What gave you any kind of confidence that you could come, that you could presume to come this morning and stand in the presence of a perfect God? Was that confidence in your performance? Or that lack of confidence in your less than stellar performance? Or did someplace very quickly, hopefully early on, did you go to the Gospel? The Gospel of Christ as your confidence. When I said to you this morning, our Maker, Redeemer, Defender, and Friend, where is your confidence that that's true? Are you just singing with a kind of hope so that it's true? Or does your mind go to the Gospel of Christ? Does it go to some of those 50 reasons you're reading about in that book if you're reading it? Does one of those come to mind? That is where our hope rests. There is no solidity anywhere else but in the Gospel. And one of the evidences that you may be buying a lie that you can somehow be your own Savior is if you don't ever go there. Or you don't go there very often. Or... The gospel being for believers doesn't make much sense to you. You need Christ. When you kneel to pray, does your thought first of all go to why you can presume, presume upon the fact that God would hear you? I hope it goes to Christ. I hope you see the glory of God in the face of Christ every time as you come into God's presence. That's my hope. That's my confidence. Now that will affect our performance it will help us, and we'll talk about that if we have time this morning. We'll go on to that. But don't go there first. It's based on what Christ has done. That's our hope. So I pray this morning that you are not bearing a burden. That's what he said. It's safe for me to say this, so you don't take that burden that you were never meant to bear. But you take that burden and put it on Christ, because his performance can fully carry it. He did it perfectly. He has a righteousness that He gives to us. And He can bear that burden and does. He said it was finished. He accomplished everything that was needed. Secondly, another safeguard, I think, and we talked about this last week as well. Let, let me, by the way, go back just for a minute. When I said somebody came to me and said, does that mean all burdens? I, I say to you, no. They were talking about the context of a burden for a friend who hasn't seen the glory of Christ, who hasn't seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. Does, does that mean we don't have those burdens? No. There are burdens we bear. There are, there are heavy burdens we bear. But you always bear them with that soul-strengthening joy at the heart of it. If you're bearing burdens without the soul-strengthening joy, you don't have the resources within to bear them. But as we get that, as we start to understand that, that, that God is for me and not against me, and I have access into His presence, and all that Christ did is mine, then we carry other burdens, but we have a strength to carry them. Burdens for other people. 
I hope you have that. I hope you care about other people. I hope this week you thought of people who need to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. I hope continually we bear that, that burden of, of proclaiming Christ to the nations and to our neighbors. But never a burden, never a burden of, of access, a burden of, of being our own Savior. Now, the second thing we talked about last week was it keeps us from disillusionment. I, I again want to hit that again just, just for clarification because it's so important here again. I said to you last week that I think there's lots, lots of young people. And the reason I start there with young people is because it is the only thing they have ever heard. They have no context, no way to balance it. Parents today, sometimes one of the things you need to think about is the things that you have context to balance. And what I'm saying about is, is the whole issue of pluralism. Religious pluralism in particular. The only thing that these young people have heard most all of their lives is that, that everything's equal. That all roads lead to the same place. That you can't say one thing is right and another thing is wrong. That's, that's the air that they, they live in. And they have no context for a time when it wasn't that way. Some of us, as we go up that generational ladder, have some context. We continue to hear it, but at least we have a balancing mechanism to some degree. But the, the, the farther you come down that generational totem pole, the less you have to balance that. And so I think what happens for young people, but all the way up now, because we all hear it, is there are just so many shingles above doors out there that how can you know what shingle is the right shingle as far as church life is concerned? How can you know which one? I mean, they, you know, this is what my parents brought me in. How do I know it could be right? Or how do I know another could not be right? And, and the air we breathe says you can't. That's not what Paul says. That's not what he says here. What Paul says is strong things in verse 3. Listen to what he says. Basically, he says, we are the real circumcision. We are the real circumcision. There's no ambiguity there. There's nothing that you read into that other than we're the real circumcision. We're the right way. This is the right shingle, Paul would say. What I'm going to tell you here. This is the truth. Listen. It's a safeguard to you. I don't tire of telling you. But we go back now to now. How, how do you know? I, I, I think that as a pastor sometimes. How do you know? There's so many different things. As we talked about last week, there's lots of peripheral stuff. And I say to you at the outset, nobody has it all right. No shingle above a door has it all right. We are fallible people. Some have it more right than others, but nobody gets it all right. And so what do you do? Do you despair? I think not. I think what Paul is saying to you, there are some things you can know. And what Paul did here is he began to recount the gospel. Paul went to the core. And what I said last week is, the reason Paul said it isn't troublesome for me to write this, it's a safeguard to you, is because the gospel is a safeguard. You can get some peripheral stuff wrong and there will not be a great loss. But I say to you today, if you get the gospel wrong, there is tragic loss. Tragic loss. And, and so I say, 
Know what you believe about the Gospel. Understand the Gospel. Understand that this whole Gospel is about how one who is alienated from God can be restored. Get that in your mind. Wrestle with that till it makes sense. Ask questions till you're blue in the face. Don't stop until you have that settled in your heart. Avail yourselves to things that will help you with that. Go to people you trust. Because Paul said, we are the real circumcision. The context of this is the Judaizers have come to him and they're saying Christianity is okay, but you have to add Judaism to it. You have to add circumcision to it. It's Christ plus some other things. And we know what Paul said. Remember last week he said in Galatians that anybody who preaches any other gospel to you other than the gospel I preach to you, even if it's me, let them be accursed. Let them be damned. He says, if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, than the one that you received, let them be damned. He felt that strongly about it. He called them dogs here. He called them evildoers here in this passage in Philippians. Paul believed that there was a way to know that you're of the real circumcision, that you've got the gospel right, that you can know what Christ has done, what the glory of God in the face of Christ is, and don't buy the lie. Young people and older alike, don't buy the lie of our world that says you can't know some things. Can you know everything? No. But Paul was convinced you could know this. And the reason he could say it with such strength in his voice is because that's what he centered his life around, the gospel. There's lots of things in the church world that I will not die for. I will not die for them. But I think we need to die for the gospel. We need to die for what Christ has accomplished. We need to center there. And so, I gave you a test last week, and that's where I want to go in the remaining minutes that I have. How do you test that? It's one thing for me to say that, you can know, but what do you look for to know? What kind of things are going to be apparent in, in groups, in bodies of believers who are getting that part right? What's it going to look like that they're getting it right? Now, it's always dangerous to paint pictures because it's not the total picture, but I think Paul does give us one picture here that is really helpful. And that picture comes right up there in verse 2 and 3 where he says to look out for the dogs and and the evildoers. Then he says, we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, I I can define that and understand that, but it even gets more clear when it says, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the two things. Those are the two things, whatever age you are, when you're looking for a shingle to worship under. Those things right there is what you need to test. Does this group of believers glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh? By confidence in the flesh, What Paul means is being their own Savior. Confidence that they somehow can save themselves. Wherever you sniff that, and it's the predominant thing within that group, I say to you young people, run from that. Run from that. Now that's always 
a mixed bag in any gathering. There can be people. There may be pockets sometimes of that. But if, if that is the core of what worships under that shingle, it is deadly. It is the thing that Paul called evildoers and dogs. And let them be accursed. Paul had no time for that. Remember an illustration that I gave you back three weeks ago. I've given it before, but it's a powerful illustration. It's an illustration of a man who was recounting uh, how his mother was, was very legalistic, moralistic. Basically, the definition of that being her own savior by external things, putting her confidence in those external things. That's really what he was, he was talking about. And then he went on to make the statement, this statement, which I think, I think sometimes we let go more often than we should. When he, when he went on to say, if she doesn't make it, meaning if she doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven, no one will. That's the kind of statement that would have caused Paul to leap out of his seat and to say the things that he said both in Galatians and here in Philippians. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That is, that is being your own savior. That is moralism. And it, it, if you sense that, if you sense that these are people being their own savior predominantly, they've, they've missed it. It's, it's not a healthy place. It is not where you want to reside under. We need to look for people who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. People who understand that it is the gospel of Christ where our thoughts need to go first and foremost as we come together in corporate worship, as we kneel before the Lord in prayer, that those things just permeate us as we understand what is the basis of all of our acceptance, all of our presumption that we might come before a holy God with any kind of confidence, that we might sing the words, my maker, redeemer, defender, and friend with any kind of confidence. All of that needs to reside in the work, the perfect work of Christ. That's what Paul said after he made that statement, we are the real circumcision. That's exactly what he said. Paul gloried in Jesus Christ. What does it look like to glory in Jesus Christ? Now look at this passage with me and I'll show you. It's why Paul could say it, because he did it. He gloried in Christ and he put no confidence in the flesh. He could have. Remember last week? He could have. He said, I was the Pharisee among all Pharisees. If anybody could put confidence in the flesh, if anybody tried to do it right and be their own savior, nobody did it better than I. That's really what Paul was saying. But then he comes in this passage to the end and he says, indeed, in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You can't stand in both of those worlds. God will not allow you. Your confidence is either in the finished work of Christ or it's in yourself being your own Savior. Now, there may be a time where we straddle that fence, but God won't let you stay there. And if you flop back into it, He will push you out of it. We need to be people who glory in Christ alone. You need to 
be with groups of believers who talk much about Christ and much about the work of Christ. That when they would give a reason, as I said a few weeks ago, of why God should let them into heaven, they don't say, because I, they say, because He first. Now, there may come an I after that, but it starts with He, because He finished the work, because He sat down at the right hand of the Father, because He, as Paul says, has a righteousness that He's willing to give us, a perfect righteousness that He accomplished for us by living perfectly and dying perfectly. That is the basis. That is the basis of our acceptance, of our confidence. And that's the kind of place you want to live as a believer. That's the kind of people you want to rub shoulders with as believers. It's what Paul and why Paul said we are the real circumcision because that's where Paul lived. And then he goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The first thing it means to glory in Christ is just that. You glory in Him. Your hope is fully in what He's done, in His work. But then it goes on to say that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. You see, the first statement there is, is what we talked about in my Sunday school this morning of my justification. That moment I pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. The moment I see the finished work of Christ and I put my faith in it. Justification, But at that moment, something else begins to happen. Simultaneously, when we're justified, when we're made right with God, when we come to life in Christ, God begins a process of sanctification, which is just a big biblical word that means to become more and more like Christ. He begins to conform us to the image of His Son. And here's what Paul is saying. He says that it begins by the finished work of Christ. God brings me to life. He helps me to see this. I put my hope there. But then, as I walk with Him, I want to know more of the power of His resurrection, which is the power of the indwelling Christ in our lives. When you come to life in Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and indwells your life. And the Scripture says in another place that the same power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the resurrection power, resides in the life of believers. And that's what Paul's saying. I want to know that. I want to know the reality of God working in my life. I want to know the reality of His continual grace coming to me through His Spirit to strengthen me that whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, no matter how difficult it is, I will do it for His glory. I will know the reality of the resurrected Christ in my life. And, and any progress I make, I will make by His strength within me. That's why Paul could say, as we read in my class this morning, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but Christ who works in me. You see, the shingle you want to be under is a people who glory in Christ Jesus, not only for their justification, but also for any progress they would make in sanctification, in growth, in godliness, in holiness, whatever word you want to use, that they're dependent at the beginning, they're dependent all the way along in His strength and knowing the reality of His power. 
There's a song that I love that Matthew has taught us. Oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. And there's a verse that says, make me dependent on your grace. I want to live dependently on the power of the resurrected Christ within my life. Sometimes Christianity just seems to some people as it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Partly I think they don't understand the power of the resurrected life in them. They don't live by that power. Somehow they began by Christ, but nobody taught them that you keep going with Christ. You keep being strengthened by the Gospel. You keep glorying in Christ. At the beginning you glory in Him, and at the end you glory in Him, and all the way between. It's as we glory in Christ that we're strengthened in our lives. And then it goes on to say, that I may know the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. That's, that's not leaving that whole idea of, of sanctification, of God working in us. What, it, what it's saying there is, I want, to, I want to know the reality of Christ's suffering. I want to live like He did. I want to live an obedient life like He did. And the picture of that is given to us already. Paul's thinking about what he's already written. And he goes back to chapter 2. Look what it says. It says, have this mind, in verse 8, among yourselves. Excuse me, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? Look at that word. By becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. That's the suffering. That's the model that Paul has in his mind of what it means to participate in in the sufferings of Christ. He says, May I know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Living by His power in the obedience that Christ lived. You see, this is the point that I've made before and I don't want to get off on a tangent here. It's not a tangent. I don't have time to unpack it all. I believe with all of my soul that the obedience that Christ lived here, He lived by the third person of the Trinity, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as Christ became incarnate, He chose to deny what He could have called upon, His deity, to live a sinless life. And where He looked for the power because He didn't call upon His deity to do it, the fact that He was God, He looked to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And everything that Christ did in living a perfectly obedient life, He did by trusting the power of the resurrection, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful picture if you get it. How do you live obediently? How do you live a life dependent on His grace? By the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life. The same way, the same way God Himself God the Son chose to live. When you start to see that, it just changes paradigms. When I started to see that a few years ago, it just started to change things. The role of the Holy Spirit, fully God, 
as much God as the Son and the Father. It's not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God. All three persons, fully God, one God, three persons. Different roles. They play different roles. The role of the Son was to only do what He saw the Father doing, to live in obedience to the Father. And whatever the Father said, He obeyed, including coming and death on the cross. But how did He do it? In what strength did He do it? By calling on His deity? He was tempted in every way as we are without sin. That doesn't make sense if He could call upon His deity to do it. It makes a sham of Scripture. Jesus did it by being dependent on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The same way we're called to do it. The same way we're to live out this life of faith. And then finally, justification, sanctification, then we come to glorification. It says this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is the resurrection from the dead but glorification? When we enter into the presence of God and are perfected forever and live, I believe, when the new heavens and earth come together here on earth in a resurrected earth together forever and ever. You see, that is what it means to glory in Christ Jesus. All of that. And when Paul says, by any means possible, it's not some hope so kind of thing. He's not, he's not unsure of glorification. You can read other places and counter that. He was confident that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. But what he was saying was a statement of humility. Oh, that God would do this. Oh, that God would take me, the one who stood at Stephen's grave and held his garments as the first martyr was stoned. Oh, that this God, oh, that this God, oh, that this Christ would do all of this for me. He gloried in Christ from beginning to end. And I say to you, young people and old alike, young people and old alike, look for a shingle. Look for a shingle if you're ever looking that underneath that shingle are hosts of people who glory in Christ alone and put no confidence in the flesh. From beginning to end, dependence upon Christ, the resurrected Christ. We're working through a mission statement here at Richland. We haven't got it all together, but I want to begin to share a bit of it with you. And I do that in closing, and then we're going to sing that song, All I Have is Christ. But this is where I hope we live. This is why we exist as a people, I hope. This is what I hope people will always find under the shingle at Richland. And that is this. Richland exists to magnify Christ so that people might see, I would put the word parentheses, treasure, see, treasure, savor, and in parentheses I would put in that, delight in or glorify in the word we use today they would glorify in see treasure savor delight or glorify in and declare 
the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it means to glory in Christ alone. And that's why Paul could say, I am the real circumcision. You are the real circumcision. Because that's where he lived. There's some things God will have to sort out in eternity. Some questions I have that I'll ask if there's a place to ask them. I'm not sure I'll need to ask them. There's lots of peripheral kinds of things that we don't all agree on. And there'll be lots of different shingles with lots of different names. That's not so important as the shingle you reside under that you find it's a people who magnify Christ, who glorify Christ and glorify in Christ in all that they do and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's sing in closing this morning that song we're learning together, All I Have is Christ. Let's stand together. Thank you.
say to you, young people, hold us to the fire. If ever it's not true of us under our shingle that we glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, you call us up short. No matter where you find it, where you find it, call it. Lord, help us. Help us. Satan always wants to distort. The enemy of our soul always wants to get us off track. He's willing to let us be the most moral people on the face of the earth as long as it isn't rooted in Christ. God, help us. For it's unto you we look, the one who is able to keep us from falling and to present us spotless before the presence of your glory one day. To the only wise God, our Savior, now we look.